Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. It says, Then the men of Kirjath-Jerim came, and they took the ark of the Lord, and they brought it into the house of Abinadab on the hill, and consecrated Eleazar his son to keep the ark of the Lord. And so it was that the ark remained in Kirjath-Jerim a long time. It was there twenty years. I am holding on to the Welcome to Truth in Christ Radio with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. In our study today, we learn that the men of Kerith Jerim transported the Ark of the Covenant. They treated it with respect and honor, yet they did not take it to the tabernacle. Instead of resting at the house of God, it was brought into the house of Abinadab. We don't know if Eleazar, who was chosen to keep the Ark of the Lord, was of the proper priestly lineage, or if his consecration ceremony was legitimate according to Exodus 29, which explains God's direction regarding Aaron and his son's consecration. At least this reflected a desire to do the right thing. Now let's join Pastor Rob. The book of 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, First and Second Kings, are one of my favorite portions of the Bible. I especially have a heart for First and Second Samuel because it really talks about the life of, uh, of a character that I, I really love and I'm looking forward to meeting him one day, and that is King David. Of course, First Samuel really covers the ministries or the careers of three different individuals. The first one we've been looking at is Samuel. We saw him, uh, his mother Hannah, and um, his father Elkanah. We saw his beginnings and uh, we're coming upon this chapter actually will end his ministry. And it doesn't mean that he's going to drop off the face of the earth, but it really marks a point in history of Israel's history where Samuel was ministering. And then there comes a time where Saul, and we'll look at that in chapter 8 next week, uh, where his ministry really begins, where the, the children of Israel cry out for a king like the other nations around them. And so God gives them a king. And, and really that uh, his ministry, his career, if you will, saw last from chapter 8 through chapter 15. And then finally, we will see David come on the scene, and he is anointed by Samuel uh, in chapter uh, uh, around 16. And then through the end of the book, we will see David's life uh, portrayed for us. And it's a really wonderful uh, portion of Scripture. And I would encourage you to read over the whole thing at, um, before, you know, uh, as often as you can. While we're in First Samuel, it'll be there's a lot of lessons there, and it's a lot of really great history uh, of the nation of Israel. And so, tonight we will look at chapter seven. 
You remember when we were in chapter 5, we saw the, the Philistines uh, taking the Ark of the Covenant. They foolishly brought it into battle with them against the Philistines at Aphek. And um, they brought it to Ebenezer, and they went out to battle with the Philistines. And the Philistines whipped them pretty bad and then took the ark away from them, which was a really horrible thing. It's sort of like taking the Declaration of Independence, but even more so, right? (laughs) It's sort of like somebody stealing the most important thing in your country, and that's really what it was. And so in 1 Samuel chapter 5, we see the Ark of the Covenant going from Ebenezer up there in the northern part of Israel, Uh, to Ashdod, uh, finally to Gath, and then to Ekron, which these are Philistine cities. And then in 1 Samuel chapter 6 that we looked at last week, the ark gets taken from Ekron, and finally, they remember we talked about the how superstitious the Philistines were, and we talked about superstition in our own lives. And in America, every country, every people has superstition in it. It's, it's very hard to escape from. It's kind of built into us. And you, you can understand where I'm coming from. How many times have you said, hey, good luck? How many times have you said, hey, knock on wood? You know, if that happens, you know, and you knock on wood, that's another superstition. You know, and we looked at how that really doesn't honor the Lord at all, does it? Superstition, because it's placing um, causation on something else other than God. We forget God. We'll put the cause or the, you know, what caused this thing, whatever it may be. We, 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 we point to other things, but we, we fail to realize that God is aware of everything. He's all-powerful. There's nothing that can come against you, Christian, that is, go- that is more powerful. There, no superstition is powerful, more powerful than you and, 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 and the Spirit of God in you. Right? Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So you can walk across the path of a whole fleet of black cats on Halloween. And guess what? You're just going to be fine. You could walk under a ladder. You could um, get married on Friday the 13th. You know? Don't you worry, because God is more powerful than all that nonsense. Amen? Amen. And so we looked at that. And so the Philistines, they send an offering with the ark, along with the ark. They put it on a cart. They send it from, uh, from Ekron, which God had really come against the Philistine cities and brought upon them um, uh, boils and, and basically their hemorrhoids. And a uh, really horrible time, God uh, brought judgment upon them for taking the ark. And it's like a hot potato. And so now the ark is going from one town, one Philistine town, to another. What a great gift to give to the people you love. Hey, we got this really bad, horrible disease. We're sending it to you. Thank you so much. When can I expect it? Can you send the tracking number? I want to be right there at the front door when it comes. You know, and so we we looked at that. And finally, they're fed up with the ark, and they sent it to Beth Shemesh. And then finally, to Kirjath-Jerim, which is where the ark finally rested and was there for some time. But let's read through chapter 7 now, and then we'll go back and take a look at it. Notice in verse 7, chapter, uh, verse 1, excuse me, it says, Then the men of Kirjath-Jerim came, and they took the ark of the Lord, and they brought it into the house of Abinadab on the hill, and consecrated Eleazar his son to keep the ark of the Lord. And so it was that the ark remained in Kirjath-Jerim a long time. It was there 20 years. And all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. 
Then Samuel spoke to all the house of Israel, saying, If you return to the Lord with all your hearts, then put away the foreign gods and the Ashtoreths from among you, and prepare your hearts for the Lord, and serve him only, and he will deliver you from the hand of the Philistines. So the children of Israel put away the Baals and the Ashtoreths, and they served the Lord only. And Samuel said, Gather all Israel to Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. And so they gathered together at Mizpah. They drew water, they poured it out before the Lord, and they fasted that day. And they said there, We have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the children of Israel at Mizpah. Now when the Philistines heard that the children of Israel had gathered together at Mizpah, the Lord of the Philistines, the lords of the Philistines, went up against Israel. And when the children of Israel heard it, they were afraid of the Philistines. So the children of Israel said to Samuel, Do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. And Samuel took a suckling lamb and offered as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And then Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered him. Now as Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to battle against Israel. But the Lord thundered with a loud thunder upon the Philistines that day, and so confused them that they were overcome before Israel. And the men of Israel went out to Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and drove them back as far as below Bethkar. And then Samuel took a stone and he set it up between Mizpah and Shen and called its name Ebenezer. Hmm, sounds like a hymn we sang this evening. Saying, thus far the Lord has helped us. And so the Philistines were subdued. And they did not come any more into the territory of Israel, and the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. Then the cities which the Philistines had taken from Israel were restored to Israel, from Ekron to Gath, and Israel recovered its territory from the hands of the Philistines. Also, there was peace between Israel and the Amorites. And Samuel judged all the days of his life, judged Israel all the days of his life. He went from year to year on a circuit to Bethel, Gilgal, Mizpah, and he judged Israel in all those places. But he always returned to Ramah, for this was his home. And there he judged Israel, and there he built an altar to the Lord. To the Lord. Let's go back to verse 1 here. It says that the men of Kirjath-Jerim, they came and they took the ark of the Lord. They brought it to the house of Abinadab on the hill. Because remember, the men of Beth Shemesh, they had taken the ark after it was driven from Ekron on the cart. And they brought it. And some of the men of Beth Shemesh, the curiosity got the better of them. And they looked inside the ark of the covenant, which was something that even the, Phil, or even the Levites weren't supposed to do. They were not even supposed to touch it. They would much less look inside of it. Remember that whenever they moved the articles within the holy place and the holy of holies, they would always carry it through uh, acacia wood that's been overlaid with gold. There was rings on these articles of furniture like the, the lampstand and the, the altar of incense and the table of showbread. And then behind the veil, right in front of the altar of incense, behind that in the holy of holies was the Ark of the Covenant. Every one of those four pieces of furniture had rings in the side of those things. And they were to be carried, not with man's hands, but they were to run these gold poles or acacia wood with, overlaid with gold through those rings, and they were to bear them on their shoulders. That's how they were to, to move them. They weren't supposed to touch them, much less look into the side, inside of them. And so the men of Beth Shemesh, 
but curiosity got the better of them. Isn't that true about sin? Whenever you're told not to do something, you know, I remember when my daughter was little, <laughs> I hope she doesn't mind me saying this, I know she's not online, um, you know, when you, when you tell your son or daughter, don't do that, and they're, they're, they're about three or four years old, or even younger, and you, and, and you look at them, and you've told them not to do that, whatever it is, don't, don't, you, don't you touch that. And, they're, and they look at you, and they're standing right there, and, and they got their finger, and, and they're looking at you, and don't you do it, and they're like, and they get real close, and then they touch it, and then you cave, and you don't do anything about it, and then they keep doing it, right? <laughs> Shame on you. So, anyway, that is the way, that's the sin nature. Whenever we're told not to do something, that's the one thing we have to do. The devil says, why did they not want you to do it? There must be something really great about it. It must be really good. It must taste really great. You can have any fruit of, this, of, of the trees in this huge, huge place. This garden is great. It's got everything. Avocados, you got, you know, everything. But don't touch that one. All of a sudden, all the trees just kind of fade away, and there's that one tree. And that's all you see. So they look inside of it, and God judges them, and they die. A great many of them die. Some estimate at least 70, maybe even 50,000, 70. There's a a textual thing there we don't have to go into. We looked at that last week. But then finally, the men of Beth Shemesh, they say to the men at Kirjath-Jerim, come and get this thing. And get it out of our, our, our way. And so the men come and they get it. And then the men come and they take the ark of God. They bring it into the house of Abinadab. Um, this, this, this place, Kirjath-Jerim, literally means city of forests. That's really what their name means. And the city belongs to the tribe of Judah. Belongs to the tribe of Judah. It's a place about nine miles northeast of Beth Shemesh, where it came from, or roughly nine miles northwest of Jerusalem, if you were looking at a map. But it bring, they bring it into the house of Abinadab. And Abinadab was a Levite, and so was his son, Eleazar. And we're going to see that, you know, they bring it into his house. And incidentally, Abinadab was not only the father of Eleazar, but he was also the father or grandfather of Ahio and Uzzah, which we will see later on in Second Samuel chapter 6 when David made his first attempt to bring the ark from um, um, Obed-Edom's house, and we'll look at that later, and these two men, Ahio and Uzzah, from uh, Abinadab's house, they bring the ark, and one of them was killed because he put his hand on the ark, trying to steady it. And I find that interesting, too, that you'd think that God would be concerned about the contents of the box falling over and spilling out onto the ground and breaking another two tablets. But the Lord wasn't concerned. When God says, this is the way I'm to be approached, we need to obey that, whatever it is, and let the details go up to him. He's not so much concerned about the ends, but the means as well. How we go about things. It's the journey that's important. You know, God can bring us from A to B if he, if he so chooses, but there's something that happens in that journey, in that time of waiting, in that time of patience that cannot be replaced by anything. It cannot be replaced by anything. Because it's in that waiting, it's in that time period in between. That's where we grow. That's where we're, our hearts are seeking. That's where our hearts are, 
are wanting to really just cave into the Lord and say, Lord, whatever you want. I'm tired of fighting. Anybody tired of fighting with the Lord and his will for your life? There came a point where I I said, you know what, Lord, I really want your will to be done, and I don't care how you do it, because I can't get there. I don't know how to get there. And guess what, folks? Here's a mystery, and here's a solution that, that hopefully will set you free. Don't worry. If you really desire God's will to be done in your life, he's going to do it. Is it your desire, though? Or is your will more important? I had a desire to be something completely different for my life. I wanted to be a traveling, worldwide classical guitarist tra- traveling all over the world. That was my, what I wanted to do with my life. And I'm so glad that the Lord intervened because, honestly, there's nothing greater, the greater privilege I have than doing what I'm doing right now. I am so thrilled and so privileged and so thankful for God for intervening in my life. I didn't even know what I wanted. I thought I did. But surrender your will. If you want his will done, he will get it done. But you have to surrender. And you know what? And your life will go through a series of changes and uh, things that you thought you, you know, decisions that you thought you made. And you're, you're, you're like, oh, Lord, help me make this decision right. And then the decision is made, and it brings you off into this area. And you, can, you understand what I'm saying. There's all kinds of decisions we can make to, for God to get us from here to there. And if we really want his will to be done, the process is much easier if we just submit to him. Much straighter line. He's going to be working in us the whole time. But if you're self-willed and self-focused and resistant, you're going to be all over the map. He's finally going to get you there, but it may take twice as long. Why do you think he had Moses out in the desert for 40 years before he allowed him? He was 80 years old before he went into Egypt and brought the people out of Israel. Out of Egypt, excuse me. What was he doing those 40 years in the desert? Chasing his father-in-law's sheep around. God was working. 40 years, folks. And some of us in this room, and, and I'm one of those, I get really impatient when a year goes by and I'm not seeing the result that I want. Understand that God is not so much concerned about time. He's concerned about obedience and our hearts in it. And so take that. And, and, and surrender now. You'll be the most blessed for it. And your life will be much more of a blessing to you and everyone else around you. Because there's nothing worse than being around a frustrated Christian. A Christian who feels like they've got to be the one in charge. A Christian who feels like I've got to have my, I've got to, I've got to control my own destiny. And man, I tell you what, didn't Jesus say, you know, uh, if you want your life, he who, he who loses his life will gain it, but he who gains his life will lose it? That's the idea. That's the idea. So in verse 2 it says, So the ark, so it was that the ark remained in Kirjath, Jearim, a long time. It was there 20 years. And all the house of Israel lamented after the ark. Now it's interesting, as we look at this ark of the covenant, uh, it's interesting from where it came. And I just want to take you a quick journey through where it, where it was and where it ultimately rested. And this is kind of interesting because we know that it was at that battle that we saw back in chapter 4 and chapter 5, where it was finally taking, taken by the Philistines, and it was with them, according to uh, the sixth chapter there in verse 1, it says it was in the Philistines' hands for seven months. And then it says here in uh, verse uh, 2 of chapter 7 that it was at, at Kirjath-Jerim in the house of Abinadab for 20 years. It was actually there a lot longer than that. Some believe that it was there 20 years and then, notice in verse 3, it says that then Samuel 
wanted to get everyone together at Mizpah. It was there for 20 years, probably until that moment. But we also know that Saul came into, he reigned for how many years? It says in Acts 13, Paul says that Saul reigned for 40 years. And so now we have 20 years plus 40 years, that's 60 years. And then in 2 Samuel chapter 5, we learn that David was 30 years old when he began to reign. And it wasn't until he was 30 years old that it tells us in 2 Samuel chapter 6 that he went and got the ark from Kirjath-Jerim. So now we got 20 years plus 40 years plus 30 years. That's 90 years, folks. It's been sitting there in Abinadab's house. And we know that David... In his first attempt, it tells us in 2 Samuel chapter 16, you'll also see it in 1 Chronicles 13, he takes the ark, and like, the, like he saw the ark coming, or it was reported to him that the Philistines brought it on a cart. And David's like, that's a really swell idea. And nobody died? No, nobody died at all. Well, let's do the same thing. For heaven's sake, those poor guys need a break, the Levites. Let's just get this done a lot quicker. We can do a lot quicker if it's on wheels. You know, we can just zoom this thing into town. And so he does it the wrong way. God judges Uzzah, remember? And then David, at that point, they weren't very far away, and they decide, you know what? David was afraid of the Lord that day. So for three months, he thought about it. And then he takes it over to Obed-Edom's house. And there it remained. remained there until Solomon came and fetched it. So, verse 3, it says, Then Samuel spoke to all the house of Israel. This is his gathering of all Israel together to Mizpah. And notice what he said. He says, if, underline that word if. Here's a conditional statement coming. If you return to the Lord, he says this to the whole house of Israel, with all of your hearts. If you return to the Lord with all your hearts, then put away the foreign gods and the Ashtoreths from among you and prepare your heart for the Lord and serve him only. And he will deliver you from the hand of the Philistines. Notice in this verse the conditional statement that is there. The Bible is filled with conditional statements. And sometimes there's unconditional statements. And the conditional statements means there's a condition. If I do this, then God does this. There are other times where God says, I'm going to do this regardless of what you do. He gave those promises to Abraham. Abraham, I'm going to make of your seed like the stars of the heaven, like the sand of the sea. They're they're going to be in so numerable, innumerable hosts. That's an unconditional promise. God was going to do it. He didn't say, if you did did this or did that. No, he said, this is what I'm going to do in your life. So it was condition. It was a condition. And we saw this kind of thing, these conditional statements and the problems that the Israel, uh, the, the children of Israel got into. Remember when we were in the book of Judges, there was this awful cycle that they went through. First, there was apostasy. They fell away from the Lord. They weren't obedient. Then they were oppressed by an enemy of some kind. And then they finally repent after God, you know, and then God delivers them fi- finally after they do that. And they continue this cycle. And we're going to see the lives of the people of Israel going through this very same thing. And it's not any different than really our own lives. You know, before I get so heavy on the Israelites, you know, it could have been any people group on the planet Earth. It just so happened that God chose the Jews, but it could have been the Germans.
It could have been the Italians. It could have been the- I'm sorry. That's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 1 Samuel. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.